Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, we're dancing. And today's a very special episode. I have a special co-host joining me, um, Tom, Tom Caserto from New Jersey. Sure. Welcome, brother. Thanks. Glad to have you good. dancing with us. So I'm excited. Here. I'm excited to have you, Tom, and our audience meet today's guest. Um, he's a great friend that I met in Austin, Texas. And let me introduce you to him. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, uh, functional range co- conditioning mobility specialist who coaches for the durable athlete team with two of our former guests, Natalie Higby and Christian Placentia. He also coaches at the Ana gym. He's passionate about weightlifting, athletic development, strength and conditioning, and cars. This guy loves his cars. Um, he, in fact, he's begun recently working in the racing industry as a corner marshal. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Winter Circle, Josh Ornstein. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Right on. We're excited to get started with this interview. Um, Tom and I connected in a course about going for your win. And the most important question we need to ask ourselves in that process is, what is your mission? So we ask that to all our guests. To kick it off is, Josh, what is your mission? That's a great question. So my mission is, when it comes to training, I see a lot of folks that have a lack of intention with movement with their mindset with a lot of things when it comes to training so my mission is to teach people how to use their bodies and their minds via intention and with building strength on top of that because without intention you can't get the most out of anything and then if if you're not getting most out of it then why are you doing beautiful well that's a great start um, speaking about the course Tom and I did, go for your win. What we learned in the course is going for your win is really about enjoying the process. Uh, we live in a world which is very like destination orientated. When I get this degree, when I get this job, when I get this car, when I get this partner, when I get this, when I get this, and we forget about the journey. That's where all the sweetness lays. Um, So what does going for your win mean to you, Josh? And what does going for your win look like for you today? What does that process look like? That's a fascinating intro to that question because I've been thinking about something very similar. And it's a, a win for me is just learning something each day, learning from someone, from an event, even just even from uh, working with, with clients that I see on a daily basis, there, there's always the opportunity to learn from everyone and from everything. So as long as I, at the end of the day, can think about, reflect on the day and be like, hey, I can either do this differently, I can improve here, or that was a big success with this person, um, or, or anything really, but that's, that's, that's the biggest win is 
getting something from your day, not getting through the day. And I guess oh, so the second part of your question, uh, what does a win for me look like today? Um, I think with all the noise that is surrounding us right now with social media and the news and just the overall world and societal climate right now, it's even more important now to remember where you've come from, you know, like wherever it is along your journey. Um, just remember where you've come from, not how far you have to go, you know, because you'd always appreciate and again, learn from those small victories that you've made throughout your way. That's cool, man. Yeah, a sense of gratitude for that is big. Makes everything <clears throat> seem like a big blessing, for sure. That's cool. So you met, mentioned, Josh, you try to learn something new every day. What is something great that you recently learned that you'd like to share with Tom, myself, and the audience? Oh, man. Okay, so I was listening to a, a podcast this morning. Um, I'm always to get fine. And it's the Louis Simmons West Side Barbell podcast. Um, and if there's any other strength and conditioning coaches out there or any other athletic uh, skill development trainers out there, I highly recommend checking out that podcast. It is chock full of gold. Um, and one of the things that he's been, that Louis has been talking about is just the, the use and importance of the hips when it comes to athletic development and not even that, but it's injury prevention. Um, and again, this is all stuff that we've heard about, that we've known, but just the way Louis talked about in detail um like it's, it's revolutionized how i think about myself like i'm an olympic lifter so i squat in a very specific style um but i'm definitely going to change that uh i'm going to do a 180 on that i'm going to do wide sumo squats from now on every time i have squats the only time i'll do a regular olympic squat is when i'm doing either a snatch or clean so the, it's uh, yeah it, 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 that podcast has really kind of re-inspired um, some of my programming methodology. That's excellent. So um, you, we, I mentioned in the introduction that you currently work on the Durable Athlete Team with Christian and Natalie. Um, yeah. Talk to us about the Durable Athlete uh, Team. Um, what are you guys doing and what are you most recently working on? What does your journey look like on joining that team? So Christian, um, Christian approached me in like last May, I believe, you know, during, during quarantine and because he's been developing uh, youth basketball programming. And him and I had talked for a few months prior to that just about different programming ideas, um, kind of seeing where my head's at. Uh, and in yeah back in may when jim started to start opening up again um there was a challenge trying to find a space and so when we ended up finding one we had about 40 athletes and he needed some help and so i was more than grateful and ready to assist him in uh training these youth athletes so that that we did that all summer long um and we just finished about two weeks ago with uh, a preseason high school program um, and going forward, we are, we have some small groups with some of those athletes, some one-on-ones, um, and we're continuing to, uh, enhance their, uh, mobility via some durability and, um, just work on what they're not doing with their coaches in school. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And then come time next summer, you know, when we have, when kids are out of school again 
and we have all the kids coming back, you know, we're going to bring up uh, the APA program and the AJR program again. It's going to get bigger. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. That's great. So Josh, talk to us about how you got to this point in coaching the durable, uh, with the durable athlete team. Um, how, what is your journey? How do you become a coach? Um, you started off, you were born in New Jersey, then you went to Maine, and then you went to Austin. Yeah. Let's talk about your origin story. How did you become a coach? Okay, so becoming a coach was uh, something that happened to me in uh, college. I went to the University of New England, and I went into their pharmacy program initially. And I realized that I was just in the program for the paycheck at the end of school, because I knew pharmacists make a decent bit of money. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. Um, and then halfway through my sophomore year, I was like, man, I don't really like that motivation. Um, and a good friend of mine, uh, he was feeling the, the, the exact same way. So we transitioned into exercise science. Um, and there was no looking back from there. You know, just from starting at the general education uh, courses, um, I mean, I realized what you can do with your body uh, via nutrition and training. Um, and it's like, wow, you can optimize yourself. You can get better. You can continually improve. And that, to me, kind of was, 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 I mean, like, I hadn't really connected those dots like I had trained in high school. Um, we had a good family friend that had given me a curl bar, a bench, uh, some weights and some dumbbells. And I started uh, just lifting some weights in high school for lacrosse. And again, like going back to my mission, not having very much intention at all, just kind of, well, my intention was to look good for the ladies, but um, not, it wasn't for anything sports specific. Uh, but anyway, so in uh, finishing up college, um, I worked at a, I interned at a inpatient and outpatient physical therapy clinic um, in my hometown. And I interned at Parisi Speed School. Uh, so I did an internship for strength conditioning and for more rehab. Um, and so finishing up college, I became a chiropractic assistant right after college and became a licensed chiropractic assistant. I helped the chiropractor open up a second practice in Southern Maine. Uh, and then during that time, I was personal training a little bit of my friends on the side. And they're like, you know what? You're pretty good. So you should see if you can make this into an income. It's like, I gave it some thought for a little while and I decided to go for it. Um, and it, so at my, at, when I worked at the chiropractor, things ended kind of abruptly. Uh, we had talked about, you know, where my head was at with training and all that, um, but then he did a little switcheroo on me and he turned me from full-time into per diem. Um, so that kind of threw me onto the, onto my feet uh, real fast. Um, so I built up, you know, some clientele up in Maine. Um, I built out a garage gym for myself. And then I started working at a, then I got into corporate gym setting. I worked at a, uh, Anytime Fitness uh, when I still lived in Maine. And, man, that corporate gym setting is a grind. I mean, like, it's more so a grind than it is just doing things by yourself because you have, you have, you know, corporate nonsense you have to deal with, which is never fun. Um, and so during, you know, living in Maine, uh, you know, I've always, I always wanted to work at Onyx, coach at Onyx, you know, I listen to the Rogan podcast and 
I just I love the education that they were coming out, all the information they were putting out. They really jived with me. So, uh, you know, I applied for the internship, um, and with many times over many months following up, I landed the internship. No promise of a job, unpaid. You know, I was really excited that I got it. You know, my girlfriend at the time, she's really excited that I got it too. She worked at Patagonia, so she transferred to a different store down here in Austin. And we made the move. Uh, we started rent, we rented apartment side on scene. Um, and we still live here today. And that's three years. That's going on three years. Um, so things have worked out in some ways. Uh, and coming down here to Austin, uh, interned for six months at Honest. Uh, took many other certs whether it was an honest search or a third-party search from FRC or John Rustin um, or, an, or a weightlifting seminar. There's just a lot of, there was a lot of good education that I just soaked up like a sponge. I met you, Derek, at, at one of the honest certs. Uh, I, think, I can't remember what it was. It was foundations or durability, but one of those two we took together, or maybe both even. Um, and so, you know, I, I with my internship, I came down with working with both sports performance and with the general gym population. So again, I created a position for myself during the internship to use to work with both populations that the gym offered, uh, that the gym had as clients. So I got the, after the internship, became a coach uh, and learned a tremendous amount, uh, even past that becoming a coach. Um, met a tremendous amount of people. Um, so the time there has just been totally invaluable. Just it, it's been priceless. Um, and so here we are. Here we are. So uh, at on it, I met Christian, um, and so we hit it off. That we hit it off, and he took me under his wing a little bit. Um, you know, helping me really understand some of the durability principles. Um, you know, really put some good ideas into my head about, you know, just different philosophies of how to move, how to, how to view the body. Um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of how I got from where I was in Maine into my coaching career, developing it, and now, you know, working over with uh, the durable athletes. Along, along, again, still, I'm still with Onnit, uh part-time, but I mean, like, we have to, we have to make sure that we're doing things for ourselves because no one else is going to look after you if no one, if you're not. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful story. And one thing that really sticks out to me in your story is um, you leaving Maine um, with all of your possessions with you and your girlfriend, Nicole, um, to start anew in a city on just faith, um, faith yeah. that you could do this and you gave away your um, work, your talent to earn your spot, you interned for six months and you, you earned your coaching position that later came. Um, so let's talk about that courage um, to leave Maine. That's like a place a lot of people get stuck with on their win is leaving their safe known world. Um, and you had a safe known world in Maine. Let's mm -hmm. talk about that, that how you left. What did that process look like? Man, uh, so how, how do we leave? Uh, so we donated a whole bunch of stuff to some parts of my family, to Goodwill, uh, a whole bunch. We sold a bunch of things. Um, and we just packed up my Volvo. So whatever fit in the Volvo, we just drove across down to Texas. Um, and I was really nervous up until 
we got down here. Um, I mean, if it wasn't for Nicole, I don't know if I really could have made the jump. Uh, I am my own worst enemy. Um, you know, I get in my head a lot. So just having Nicole, having her support um, and realizing that, you know, we're going down with a massive opportunity for both of us, um, you know, really, to me, I put that in my mind to try to outweigh that fear factor. Excellent. Um, that is a real um, tip for people in that situation is to um, have that faith rather than that fear. Mm-hmm. What, are, what, are, what are some other advice you have people that encounter fear, whether that be a move or anything? Fear is something that routinely comes up to us each day. How do you battle fear each day, Josh? Uh, talk it out with, with someone that you love and you trust, uh, whether it be a significant other, a good friend, a parent, a mentor, whatever it is, but you have to have an outlet that you can talk about ideas with. Because if you just talk about things in your head, you just go through the same loop. And you re- it's hard to kind of break that, that, that thought cycle until you express an idea and someone else can give you some feedback on it. So that's what I would suggest to anyone who has uh, if, you know, some struggles going, getting over courage and getting out of their own way. It's just talk it out with somebody you love. Mm-hmm. And you could also talk it out with yourself through journaling. That's a practice that helps me. Um, but putting, acknowledging what is coming up, I think is a great thing to do with others and with the self. Um, mm-hmm. So another question I have about your journey is your internship at Onnit. Um, you were there for um, six months before mm-hmm. getting hired. So what did that look like when in the head, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, like, am I going to get a job? Like how long am I going to have to keep on interning? Like I need to earn some money. Talk me yeah. through that process. So that process. Um, all right. So got the internship started up super nervous. Um, and then I, I, I interned under Jeremy Hills, uh, essentially for, for, for most of my internship. And he was just like, Hey, I mean, like, they vetted you, you're here, there's nothing to be nervous about, have confidence. So, you know, there's one thing that he taught me uh, is that, you know, just be confident in your skills, be confident in your knowledge, because if you're at some place, you're not there by accident, you're there on purpose, whether you put yourself there or it was a, it was a combination of you and somebody else, but just have trust in your skills. Um, and so that, that was really good to hear, literally, day one, morning one, 6 a.m. when I walked in the door. That was a beautiful thing to hear. It really helped set my mind right. Um, and, you know, I didn't, yeah, again, you know, no source of income. You know, Cole had a part-time job. Um, granted, we had some savings coming down, but I'll say that, you know, one of the coaches that on it, Sean Clements, he was a massive help, him and his wife, Ashley. Uh, he sent me over to where, where his wife worked, uh, Victor Medical Center, and I worked as a kind of kind of like a, a wellness center tech uh, for a little while, for about a year, I think, until I became full time at Onnit. Because when I first started on it, I was part time, so I still needed a little bit more of a supplemental income um, until I was financially ready to be on my feet. Uh, but during the internship at Onnit, yeah, there, there were there were times when I would get hints. From, from, from management and the staff there, they're like, yeah, you know, you're, you're doing well. You know, we'd love to have you on board. And then uh, they would go for a couple weeks in a span where I would hear too, too much feedback. Um, 
And then every, every couple weeks or so, I'd get, I'd get good feedback. So I knew that I was heading in the right direction. Um, it was just a matter of time until I got, I, I, I got the offer. Excuse me. And I remember June, I was outside of Juan and, and Jeremy, and they made the offer. And, I, and, and, and again, I, it was a goal of mine to work on it for a long time and got it. So I, 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 was, I was extremely happy and pleased that I was able to land it. Mm -hmm. So you faced your fear of moving away from your comfort known world in Maine um, with not sure how things are going to turn out in Austin, no. but along the path, like every hero does on their journey is they've met different helpers. Um, you mentioned a few, Sean and Ashley Clements, um, Christian, mm -hmm. um, Jeremy Hills. You've met a lot of mentors uh, whether that be in person at the audit certifications, um, FRC, you've met them online, um, like Louie at the West Side Barbell. So let's take a moment to recognize some of your helpers and mentors. Who, did you, who have you really learned from that you'd like to take a moment to recognize? And what did you learn from them that really sticks with you to this day? So let's spotlight a few of these mentors or helpers. Uh, Christian Placencia is definitely one of them. Um, if it wasn't, if, 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 I don't know, if it wasn't him, I definitely wouldn't have half the knowledge that I have right now, just in terms of really how to help the body move in a recovery fashion. Um, so I want to really thank Christian. Um, and I know that he doesn't really know this, but like Dr. Andrew Spina, taking, FR, taking the FRC surf, like the system that he has devised is so simple, so succinct, and extremely useful and valuable for anyone at any age, just a way to, to really strength train the joint. Um, those two in particular, uh, our head strength coach, CJ McFarland uh, over at Onnit, he invested, um, he, he has invested his time and some money into helping me grow as a coach. Uh, he's given me a number of uh, good books to read and we've talked about different ways of programming um, and we've worked together with a uh, youth football program. So it, those, I'd say those three in particular, like local here to Austin have really been massive help. And then of course, you know, my parents have helped me tremendously over the last couple of years, just keeping me calm. I mean, just like, again, you know, I have Nicole down here, but it's good to talk with people that are outside of whatever situation you're in to get fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So from learning from these different coaches and mentors um, who are coaches themselves, what did you learn uh, to how to best be of service as a helper and a coach? So how did, what did you learn from them to make you a better coach? What are those tangible skills they taught you? Just to slow things down a little bit and, and watch, watch people move. You don't have to, give someone a million cues right up right off the bat just slow things down watch them move so you aren't thinking about how to respond how to react you're 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 you're, you're watching to understand and with that understanding you can give more valuable coaching that that's been the biggest thing great um so when we pursue our passion and go for a win, when we listen to our heart and um, attend to that inner calling, 
we open doors where we otherwise um, not have that had them open. Um, so you moved to Austin to become a coach, but now you're working in the race car industry. And that's something you, uh, I know you're very passionate about is cars. And now you're working um, as a, a quarter marshal um, in the race scene in Austin. Let's talk about a bit about that. How did that come to be? So I'll start off by saying working is a loose term. I am barely, I have one foot in the door uh, when it comes to working as uh, working on, on the track. Um, so, I mean, I've been into motorsport and cars my whole life. And the last, what are we in, 2020, 2019, um, I went to the F1, my, my first live F1 race. I went to the one here at Circuit of the Americas with a, good, with a good friend of mine down here. And I'd be like, man, I, I, I kept seeing these guys in, in uniforms and suits. I, I knew they worked around the track, but I didn't really know what, what was going on. And so my friend told me, he's like, hey, I mean, like, they're quarter marshals. All you have to do is volunteer. Just put your name out there, and then you, you can you can work for races. And then you I mean like you're you're. And to me, like I love to be by the action. So like when you're a quarter marshal, you're feet from the track. And so you, I mean, you hear. I mean, like of course you hear everything when you're in the stands, but just like there's such a visceral sensation when you're down by the track like that. And uh, I love it. I love it. So I I found that there's a few different. Um, board, uh, website boards that you can go to, to put your name into the hat to apply to volunteer for uh, races. So I'm constantly searching. There's one that I go to frequently, uh, motorsportred.com. Um, and I search to see what, what local events are going on. Uh, there hasn't been anything because of COVID, except this, mm, there was one two weeks ago that I worked. And that, that was really nice to get back out to the track. It's, 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 a, it's a scene, it's an environment that, I just, oh, I love it. I love it. It's, it's so awesome. Beautiful, man. I love cars, too. I love my favorite car is an Aston Martin Vantage. I just yeah. had a Porsche box that I got rear-ended. Actually, got the whole car got totaled and stuff. It was a 98, an older one, but it's, it just handled so beautifully. Yeah, and then I, yeah, they are. I was going, I'm going to a physical therapist and chiropractor right now, which is I've never done in my life, and I feel like it's, it's just helping me, you know, get in touch with my body so much more and stuff, and I just think that's a beautiful thing. I even thought about it when I started going there. I started thinking about, you know, doing something like that, like similar to what you're doing. And, yep. uh, yeah, it's cool. But how fast do the cars go in uh, the F1? What's it? Like 200? Oh, uh, so F1, yeah. So I was, uh, I mean, I wasn't, sorry, I wasn't working there. But, like, on the main straight, they're definitely hitting, like, probably because they have a big uphill uh, to turn one. Um, so they're probably, like, a buck 80, buck 90. Uh, and then they're going down to probably anywhere from 40 to 50 miles an hour in like that. I mean, these cars break like nothing. Um, and then on the back straight, it's flat. So they're probably hitting closer to 200 miles an hour on that. And again, breaking into a hairpin. And again, probably again, 40 to 60 miles an hour somewhere in that, on that back corner there. That's cool, man. And what do you, wait, where are you? What, what cars are you? What's it called? Corner marshalling? Corner, uh, corner marshalling. So that could be for any race. Um, as long as you get accepted to work the race. So obviously with, with F1 and for more like higher prestige races, like 24 hour in Le Mans or, uh, or any kind of WEC event, a world endurance championship event, you have to either work with someone who's pretty knowledgeable and skilled, um, or you have to have a lot of skill and knowledge yourself. So, I mean, you, you kid, I, I've worked uh, races where they're just, you know, simple spec Miatas. 
Um, and then before COVID hit, the last race that we worked was the world was the world endurance uh, championship here uh, at Austin, and that was a six-hour race with you know the LMP ones, twos, the GT, the GTE Pro class, the GTE, GTE Am class. Um, so you have four different classes of cars on the racetrack at once, and they all have very different uh, speeds that they can go, that they can attain and go through the corners and on the main straights. Um, so as a marshal, you have to be aware of who's in different class, who's in what position, so you know who to flag appropriately to let them know someone's coming up on them if they, and they need to get out of the way. Oh, or if it's yellows. Go ahead. Through, through radio? Uh, you... no, no. I mean, like, we, we have radios. Uh, we have radios for race control to tell us if we need to go full course red, full course yellow. We need a black flag a certain car um, for a certain mechanical problem. We need to put a flag out for debris. Uh, you know, we'll go over that with with race control, um, but with, just with the race cars, now we'll we'll hold the flag out uh, out of our booth so they can see, hey, there's something coming up, or be aware there's something that you can't pass or you shouldn't go too fast around with. Oh, that's cool. So you got to be on point for sure the whole time. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I mean, like there's a there's a bit of downtime um, when when you when there's no one at your corner, but I mean, even so, like I just love to try to hear and watch see what else is going on around the track. That's cool, man. And then the other ones are drifting, like the Miatas and stuff. Was that drifting or just racing around? Oh, that's regular racing too. Um, I don't know if there's if, – I don't think they do any drifting events at Coda. Um, it would be a decent track to have some on, though. Uh, parts of it would be. Uh, I don't know if there's any drifting events locally down here. Not that I've seen. So um, it's interesting how your start in the racing industry is very similar to your start with Onnit is you volunteered. And that's like a big thing that Gary Vaynerchuk is about is the value of giving free work to really earn your keep. Um, do you see yourself um, doing more work in the racing industry in one way or another down the road? Is that something you'd be interested in? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, when I was at the when I was at the F1, I had I don't want to call it piffy not, but like over my life, like I've worked with cars, I've worked with training. At least I should, in my professional career, I've worked with cars and I've worked with training. And I need to have both in my life to have some. To, I feel happiest. I feel my happiest and most successful when I have both of those things in some capacity in my life. Uh, and I really miss it if I don't have one of those things. So my my goal is to be a sports performance uh, coach for one of the high-level F1. Yeah, that's my that's that cool. is my that's my creme de la creme. That's my top goal is to be a sports performance coach for an F1. And it's a very attainable goal. Jeremy Hills, he works a lot, and CJ, they work a lot. Specialize a lot of work with professional football players, Christian and Natalie, and yourself with professional mm -hmm. basketball players. Um, and I could definitely see you working with professional race car drivers. Yeah, I kind of dabbled a little bit um, with, before COVID hit. There was a, a local racer. I forget how we got linked up. Oh, I remember the, uh, a friend. A friend hooked me up with one of his friends, uh, and so I did a couple workouts with uh, smaller. Uh, there's a Porsche Cup series that I did uh, that I worked with uh, two racers on. Uh, we just did a couple sessions, but like. It's a start. Absolutely. That's a start. So what have you learned, Josh, from working with all these elite level athletes that you work with at Onnit, 
the durable athlete team. And um, I guess you see the racers in these F1 races. What have you learned um, from an elite athletes? What differentiates an elite athlete from the general who's never made it there, um, who was trying to? I would say it's probably consistency. And be, being consistent with your good habits, not consistent with your bad habits. And staying committed to your decision. To be, what, whether, if you're a pro football player, commit to it. If you want to be one, commit to it. Stay consistent with your training, with everything that goes with it. And then things will, things will happen. You, but you have to actively keep working towards whatever your goals are. Love that. So on your on your journey, Josh, um, everyone's journey is about highs and lows. Mm. Let's talk. Let's let's talk about some challenges. What have been some of your biggest challenges on the path, and how did you overcome them? Well, we talked about a few of them. Um, fear is one of them, um, and I've been my own worst enemy. Um, any, any issue that I've, any problem that I've ever had has always been because of my own doing, whether it be mentally or some stupid action that I've done to, to hurt somebody. And so the, the it's, it's, again, like we kind of talked about, you know, some, a good way to overcome is to find some way to talk things out. Um, so I've had to deal with some insecurities over the last couple of years um, that have come to light being down here um, and not being in my comfort zone has made me realize I have some past things that, that I need to deal with to, to make sure I am continually growing as a person and continually growing in, in my relationship with the cult. Um, so one of the best ways that I found for myself is to start seeing a therapist. You know, when I was younger, I never... I never saw the value in it. I was just like, why not just talk with the people you love? You know, just talk it out with, you know, with them. And then I realized, no, there, there's, there's a lot of value to talking with someone who is A, trained in how to deal with the mind and emotions and insecurities. But two, there's also a lot of value in the, talking with someone who's just not connected with you emotionally, you know, who's not in your in your day-to-day, who can give you true, truly fresh perspective. Um, so I know that was kind of a, I don't know if I talked in circles there or not, but I. No, that's, that's great. I, I love that. And um, it's excellent to have like a male, strong Olympic um, weightlifter, like a man's man. Um, yeah, I don't say, love that, but. <laughs> <laughs> say that um, therapy is good and it's so important. And I believe so as well um, as a bachelor of social work student and graduate. Um, I realize the importance of therapy and it's not, it's not a weakness to ask for help. It's a strength. So it's yeah. great that you're there advocating for going to talk to someone. Um, it's just like you were saying earlier, it's, it's good to let things out on the table and get them off of your chest, out of your mind. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes just the process of having someone listening to you um, solves itself. What are some other self-care tools that are regular in your day to day that you would like to recommend um, um, I do a lot of soft tissue, uh, mainly soft tissue work, like self massage, um, compression, uh, are two big ones. Uh, so I can plug some brands if you want. Uh, there's a rumble, a rumble roller, 
makes really good rollers. They're firm, they're knobby, they can really dig in certain places. And then I've started working with their uh, little beasties. And those are little small, like spiky balls. They're about the size of baseballs. Um, and those are those are really good to get to the hips, get into the pecs, the back, um, the feet. For compression, um, I have a pair of Normatec compression uh, leg boots. And I'm going to expand that to, uh, to the hip. I'm going I'm to get a hip set. And I'm going to get an arm set as well. Um, and then I, for, for shorter term compression, uh, Elite FDS makes a number of good compression wraps. Uh, and I, so I got one of their, um, I got their, their strongest, toughest compression wraps. Um, and that, that, those, those are the biggest things um, that I utilize along with, along with stretching out. Yeah, so talk to us about that. What, what does it look like when you use those strategies, like the rumble roller? Um, versus not how, like, how do you, how do you feel the difference? Like, how does like, so for someone that doesn't do decompression work, like how, what, what will you notice if you do do it and what does doing decompression work, um, working on your tissues, what does that look like? How much of a time commitment is necessary? Uh, not very much. Again, you just have to be consistent with it. You know, a little bit every day goes a long way. Um, so, I mean, probably at the end of the day, I, get 30 minutes in, you know, roughly the give or take, whether it be stretching, I'll take usually one modality. Um, like with the compression boots, I'll set it for an hour and I'll just, I'll just lay back on the couch and chill for an hour and just let them squeeze them inside my legs. It's awesome. Um, if I have the compression wrap, I'm usually doing it around um, like a muscle belly that's a little, that's, that's sore, has the knots or a joint that's a little achy. Um, and then I'll just, I'll, I'll wrap that really tight and then hold that for three to five minutes. Uh, on a certain area. If, it, if it's a larger area like my knee or my quad or my calf, I'll go about five minutes or so. And I mean, there's plenty of protocols online that you can check, that people can check out to, to see. Um, and then, for, but for the roller and uh, for the rumble roller or any kind of like soft tissue, self-massage work, um, you know, just getting in, get in good leverage positions to really kind of work into areas. Uh, and then just making sure you breathe. That's the most important thing. If you don't breathe, you're not going to get any benefit out of it. You know, your, your breath with, with, with good controlled exhales, that's where you get yourself to relax and expand uh, around whatever tool you're using. Mm -hmm. So for someone new at rollers, rumble rollers, um, what do you see people doing right with them? Or what do you see people doing wrong with them? And how do you change that to a right habit? How do you use a roller properly? I mean, the only two things I, I have seen that are a little weird with rollers that, that probably don't need to be done um, is rolling at your IT band. You're not going to change anything rolling at your IT band. Uh, and then if you're rolling out your back, don't, so people like to roll out their back. I see people crank on their neck. Don't crank on your neck. Those are the two biggest things. Other than that, I mean, it all comes down to the individual and if they have global issues or are they more local issues around a joint or a specific knot in the air or, or not in the body somewhere. Mm -hmm. So why not the IT? Um, I've heard that before too. So could you explain that to the listeners on why you, it's not beneficial to roll out the IT band? Well, it's not, it's not beneficial. You're just not going to get any, you're not going to, yeah, people, People think that they roll out their IT band, they're going to get more length in their IT band, and that's not the case. It's a thick, 
piece of fascia that is meant to hold us up. Like when we, when we were walking on all fours, the IT bands were muscle. And now that we're upright, we're bipedal, that muscle has come up into the hips. And now we have a strong band of fascia on the outside of, uh, of our legs here for stability. Um, and I mean, like if, if you want to get any kind of change, you literally need one, sorry, 2,000 pounds of pressure in one area to make a change. I don't think anybody really wants that on their body. Like I've done body tempering with like 135 pound steel rollers. Just 135, not 2,000. That's plenty. That is plenty <laughs> on, on muscles, on muscles, not even, not, not even on the IT band, just on your regular muscles. That is plenty of uh, pressure. Mm -hmm. You definitely need to breathe there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, That's for sure. So for, for the roller, so um, do you like to, you roll on it or do you find like a trigger point and just relax on there or do you a bit, a bit of both? For sure, both, both. You know, I'll generally start uh, with myself or with clients, and then just again do a large global motions. You know, up and down the whole spine, uh, a little rotation on the spine. You know, up and down the legs and the backs of the legs, and then as you go through, you'll find, you know, you'll, you'll find your hot spots, and then with the hot spots, you know, generally I'll start with a roller that we can focus in on with the hot spots, and then we can go into a smaller tool like a tennis ball, a cross ball, golf ball. Um, to really just there, there you focus more of your weight onto that one spot, onto the ball instead of being first over, over the roller. Mm -hmm. So, um, throughout our day today, um, we encounter resistance, and author Stephen Pressfield describes resistance is that negative force in the world that keeps us from preventing our dreams. And resistance is something that we're going to come up face to face again, day after day after day. Um, what does the, what does the resistance looks like in your life, Josh? Um, and how do you overcome your resistance? Great question. Um, a few different, a few different things there. Um, one we kind of talked about already, um, you know, I think this is true for just about everyone. Um, you are your own worst enemy. You're, you're, you give yourself the most resistance to all your mental nonsense that you talk about with yourself. Um, another thing is, like for me, is I find like with social media, you know, and I fall into the trap of comparing myself to, to others, whether it be other coaches on a professional level, whether it be other weightlifting athletes that are just way stronger than I am, same, same body weight, same weight class, but they can lift double what I lift. Um, and that gives me a tremendous amount of resistance because that, that further feeds into just me being my own worst enemy. There's just me being the resistance. So just not, just, I just don't look at it anymore. You know, I, I don't, I just don't look at it anymore. Or if I do come across it, it's just like, I use it as I, I turn it not into like, man, I wish that was me in terms of, I turn it into like, okay, let's, let's, let's try to get into that area. You know, we, what are they doing that I'm not, you know, I try to, again, trying to learn from something instead of, again, taking it into a negative fashion, you know, what are, what are they doing that I can learn from to get me to where they are? Mm -hmm. Choosing to be inspired. Um, yes. That's, yeah. And it's so easy nowadays. It's, I, I just feel like, again, with, with society being in such a weird place right now, uh, I, I just feel like there's a lot of, you know, just hands up, like whatever, you know, people are just kind of, some people are just giving up a little bit. You know, I, I see that a lot mentally. Um, you know, you know, my, my significant other, Nicole, she 
she works, she, she, she's working from home. And I hear, I overhear some of the conversations that, that, that go on. And it's just like, man, people just, people are so entitled. People are not thinking properly. People are, are so outward and they're not thinking about how to make themselves better. Mm-hmm. Um, for someone trying to make themselves better, whether that be physically or nutrition wise, because I know you're on point with both, um, a resistance that comes up for them is like, well, I don't, I, they think of excuses why not to go to the gym or why not to follow their diet. Um, how do you recommend for those people to overcome that form of resistance, which I'm sure a lot of your clients encounter, um, putting in those yeah. reps? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the training is a much easier pill to follow for folks. Um, it, it's just like a, it's something that's another, it's another really good habit to build, something else that you can actually physically do and see the changes with. Nutrition is, is, is much harder. That's much more attached to psychology and behavior and emotion. Um, and so I used to be very dogmatic when I was in my early 20s uh, coaching. Excuse me. And I, I used to really be strict people on how, how they should eat. And as I've grown up, and I realized that change is hard. You know, ha- having had to change myself, and I know that I have my own resistance to my own changes that I want to do, I have become more empathetic when it comes to dietary uh, counseling. And again, I'm not licensed to, to, to do anything. I don't make meal plans or anything like that. But if people ask, you know, I, I'll kind of guide them a little bit. But all I... People know what to do. It doesn't matter if you want to do it or not. Everyone knows what to do. It's just a simple choice that you're going to do it or not. Simple as that. Absolutely. Um, okay, so um, let's talk about Olympic weightlifting. Why do you love Olympic weightlifting? Because it's hard. You're, it's, it's, you're, you're, never, you're never done. You're, you're, there's, you're, you're always searching for more strength and better technique and then the, and the combination of both. Uh, so I've been doing it for three years um, and have loved and hated every minute of it. Uh, you know, there's super high highs and there's very low lows. You know, I'll have great training days and I'll have terrible training days. I'll have good competitions and then I'll have terrible competitions where just like why am I doing this? Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm already, you know, it's, it's already hard enough for me starting at 27, not seven. Um, so there's already an uphill battle there, but I just, I just love the challenge. It, it really helps keep me in full body shape. Cause I mean, like I, I don't play a lot, any other sport really competitively. I, I just do for like, like pick up for everything else, but weightlifting, it really helps. It keeps me accountable to my training. And everything else, like I have to count my nutrition, my sleep, everything else when I, when, when I stay on my weightlifting track. Mm-hmm. I think it's, this is, it's interesting how you started at 27 because um, you're a very like yeah, yes or no type of person. Like if you want to eat healthier, yes or no, yes. Okay, well, then you eat healthier. If you want to learn something, if you want to exercise, do it. Um, and the same thing as strength and conditioning. Um, a lot of people would have had a lot of resistance to start something so late, um, you are definitely late in the game. If you oh, compare yeah. yourself to those that start, it's at seven year old. How how did you develop that mentality that you just go for it? 
great question. I really don't know. Just, just something I've always tried to do. You know, I've all, I've always tried to just be a better person. I, I, I mean, I know I've had my mistakes over the years, um, some big ones over the years too. I'm, I might add, but you know, as long as you can learn from those mistakes and keep growing, you know, that that really helps build really helps build mental fortitude. I don't think there's anything better than that than mental fortitude. Mm -hmm. So for someone that's listening right now and they're wanting to try this sport or do this move and they're thinking of all the excuses um, not to, how, what kind of light can you give them? Um, I would, I would say, um, Go find a good, go find a local coach that's good or an online coach that, you know, reach out. I mean, like you have to ask for help. That, that's yeah. the biggest thing. I mean, like if, if, if you don't know how to cross a bridge, ask someone who does, you know, someone's going to be on the outside of that bridge. So just be like, Hey, how do I get there? And generally they're going to help you out. You yeah. have to be a real dick not to help somebody out. Yeah. And from your story, it, it starts with a single step. A single step, step yeah. forward. Mm -hmm. and and having that faith so josh what is working really well for you right now um everything's kind of firing on all cylinders right now um training's going well uh professional growth is going well um work is going well relationships are going well um i i'm i think you're in a pretty good place right now Excellent. Well, the follow-up question is, what is not working well for you right now? Um, and how are you in the process of discarding it? So where's one area that is not working how you'd like, and how are you moving forwards um, to changing that? Um, it's a simple thing. Um, but something that's not really working for me right now is – Again, it's not a big problem at all, but just just myself personally and my goals um, is getting the required amount of food that I need. Um, I find myself psychologically or mentally not being not being there. So if I if I don't eat, um, I can't train, and, I, and not that I can't train, but just like my training sucks, my recovery sucks, everything else sucks. So because my body burns through fuel so fast i need to make sure that i constantly replenish and i have lost my um my meal prep habits um it's funny like once covid hit like i just like a lot of my i'm trying to regain a lot of my habits that i've had pre-covid back into this post-covid world now uh, mm -hmm. what does your nutrition look like well in, well what do you mean look like what, like what do i like what, overall yeah, or yeah what is your ideal nutrition like you're someone that does a lot of studying with yourself and um through books and texts like what have you learned i know you're not a registered dietitian or whatever like you said but uh, we can still give advice on what do you do with your nutrition that works well for you i so i i surround the bulk of my food intake around my training not immediately around my training well sometimes yeah well sometimes afterwards for sure um but like if i have an eight hour if i'm gonna eat in eight hours 
you know, I make, and, and, and I'm going to train right in the middle of those eight hours. I'm going to make sure I have plenty of fuel about three hours or so, like a big meal, three hours before I train. And then I always have a recovery shake that I start drinking halfway through the workout. So, and that'll have um, a certain amount of carbs, certain amount of protein, I'll have some creatine in there. Um, and yeah, that's it. So I, I put the dextrose for, for quick, quick absorbing sugar. Um, I put some amino, um, essential amino acids or a complete whey protein. Um, and then I'll add in some creatine and some cinnamon. Cinnamon, cinnamon is really important to help uh, with the blood sugar. So even though we are, cells are more receptive to blood sugar while, after we work out, um, it's just a habit I have just to help shuttle all the blood sugar into the muscles and the liver where it needs to go to help uh, replenish the glycogen stores. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, everyone is unique. Everyone has different body types. Everyone has different needs for the food intake they need to have. Uh, but what is one generalized nutrition advice that you think is applicable to everyone that everyone should um, take note of if they're not already doing? Drink water first thing in the morning. Simple, simple, to, do, simple to do is that. That's a great piece yeah. of advice. Yeah. Um, Get one, one more glass of water in first thing in the morning. So let's, let's hear another lesson. Let's hear a real big lesson here, Josh. So on your whole journey, what has been the greatest life lesson you have learned on your path thus far that you'd like to offer to myself, Tom, and our listeners? I was thinking about this before the podcast, and this encompasses so much, but it's, it's a very important skill that I feel like a lot of us are lacking nowadays, and that's how to communicate. Communication is key to to anything like if you if you can't open your if, if you if you have a hard time using your words like you can't ask for help you can't offer help you can't offer services um and beyond that i mean just being able to communicate i mean like you set boundaries or not set boundaries so people can either take advantage of you or not um that's something that i've had a hard time with is setting boundaries my whole life um and up until let's say probably this past year I look forward to telling people no. Like I really love telling people no, um, and in a, in a weird in a weird kind of way. But it's so different for me. Like I've always been a yes man. I've always tried, and I'm I'm I mean like I'm still a people pleaser. I still try to be everyone's friend. I'm not going to dick to anyone just because I can or want to. That 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 doesn't serve anybody. But just being respectful of your time, of your like having true respect of your time, because there's no other precious resource other than that. Because if you just give your time away willy nilly. That's another good lesson right there too. Uh, protect your time. Um, but yeah, man, I say communication is key, and don't be afraid to over communicate thoughts and feelings with either your significant other or or your or your boss um, at work or whatever team you work with. Uh, always communicate ideas. Double check on things. I mean, that's what I, I mean. You know, each time you level up professionally you think at some time you know the bullshit has to stop at some point right it never does it never as long as you're dealing with humans there's always going to be nonsense to deal with so as long as you can continue to communicate your thoughts your feelings what you want to do where you want to go what how you can help whatever it is that's you're gonna go far mm -hmm. and one thing that i learned about communication 
Um, and I learned this from Don Miguel Ruiz and his book, The Four Agreements, is a big part about communication is don't make assumptions. Mm. Um, often we make assumptions because we're not communicating. Well, I think they will really get my hint, but did you communicate yeah. it? No. So that's one thing that I try to um, always keep in my mind is don't make assumptions. And the, the, um, the key to that is communication. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so we talked about being conservative and being mindful of your time and we want to be mindful of yours. Um, so we have a couple last closing questions but before we get there. Um, we haven't heard much. We haven't heard much from Tom. Tom, what are your thoughts on what you've heard so far? Uh, do you have any other questions that you'd like to ask Josh before we close it with our final two questions? Um, <clears throat> no, I'm just, I'm just listening to all of it and, yeah, it's just really motivating and um, just inspiring all the, you know, all the information you shared here about all the, uh, yeah, your, your journey and everything and the, uh, the process, what you went through and what you're coming to understand about yourself and, and um, yeah, just everything that really satisfies your soul in life. Seems like you're, you're all around very balanced and I think that's beautiful, man. And I appreciate you sharing all that and, and everything. And what part of uh, New Jersey are you from? I was born in Morristown. Oh, okay. I, grew, I lived in Plainfield for 11 years. Uh, and then we moved to Scotch Plains. And we lived there for three. And we would have stayed in Jersey for, I don't even know how long, but um, we moved to Maine because A, we knew the area well. We vacationed vacation since I was one. But uh, more importantly was um, my mother worked in World Trade Center uh, and she lost a job. Thankfully, that's all she lost. Um, and living just got too expensive down there to, to live on just my father's salary alone. So we, my parents, so that was my seventh grade year. Um, my mom, she tried to look for a job that whole year. She couldn't find one. And then that summer she put up on the market. Uh, they put the house on the market. And then all eighth grade, she, she had a severance package from the company that she worked for because the company went under. They couldn't sustain itself anymore. Um, and then we moved to Maine uh, and the eighth grade year. So between the summer, between eighth grade and my freshman year of high school, I uh, moved up to Maine. You miss Jersey? I live near Morris, Morris County. Um, I honestly, I don't really know. I did, I did initially. Uh, I mean, like I just started, I mean, like after three years of developing relationships with my friends down there and we're open to the high school, it's just like, oh, I can do this all over again now. Um, and so I, so I still, I kept in contact with them for, for a little while after I moved. But, you know, I, I, I we moved when I was what, 14, I think. So from 14 to 28, I lived in Maine and just, there was just a lot more, um, shall I say, like conscious growing up in, in Maine. So, um, you know what I mean? So like, I, I just, I did a lot more actual growing up in Maine. Like Jersey, yeah. Jersey's just kind of like a, a blip, a blip a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. When you moved from Maine to Austin, um, that was a big jump. 
what's, what are your tips for somebody moving to a new city on how to get settled, how to make new friends, how to create new community? How did you make that happen when you first got to Austin? Uh, um, you got to put yourself out there. Um, I mean, again, if, if you're the person that's going to be going, moving across the country, you probably don't have that issue. You're going to be a little more extroverted, a little more outgoing. It's, it's funny because I always view myself as more introverted than anything else. And then I always tell that I'm, I'm always told that I'm extroverted. So I don't, I don't know what that disconnect is, but, um, but anyway, have, I mean, if, if you're someone who is nervous about this, definitely make the move with someone you love, a spouse, significant other, someone you're in a relationship with, a good friend, or have that waiting for you at your destination. Um, having, having a partner through any kind of life changing events will make things so much easier. And it's not to say mm-hmm. no one can do it by themselves, but like it's, it'll be more of an uphill battle. Yeah, and let's let's uh, let's have a question on that. Um, we've talked about your partner a few times now, Nicole. Um, what have you learned um, in partnership with Nicole? What are some of the things? Just like we talked about, what have your mentors taught you? What have you learned from Nicole? Oh, patience. She, she, I, I, I and I still have terrible patience, but she's really helped me with my patience. Um, Patience in understanding, patience in acceptance of who someone is or what or what something is. Um, yeah, that's a yeah, beautiful I'd, gift. I'd, I'd, I'd say that, uh, and the, the 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 biggest thing though that she's helped me with is um, just learning how to love again, learning how to open myself up again. I, I, I had a, a bad experience in a past relationship, um, and even to this day, that's part. Of, that's another part of the reason why I uh, talk to a therapist is to help make sense of my thoughts and feelings. You know, when I when you know back then, I thought you know just because I was happier, I was over. It. You know, just don't think about it, move on. But like, you know, having been being with the coal for six and a half years now. Um, you know, there, there's been some, some, some thought processes and some emotional things that, you know, still come up to me, still come up to me to this day. So it's, again, coming back to communicating these things, talking about it, talking about them, um, and not being, not being ashamed about them either. That was the biggest mm-hmm. thing for me, is just being ashamed of some of my past. There's no, there's no need to be. The past, the past, all we have is the now. And in yeah. the right now... And in the right now, Josh, what does love mean to you today? It's first and foremost, it's unconditional to me. It, it's unconditional. It's unconditional, again, in, in your understanding and accepting of your partner. I mean, like, I have my own quirks. I'm far from perfect. Nicole has her own quirks. She's far from perfect, but... That doesn't matter. We complement each other extremely well. We're, and in my in my opinion, we're a lock and key. Um, you know, if, if, I, I forgot your point. Oh, what, what is love? Um, <laughs> sorry, I just I just I just I lost That's okay. Right. Um, yeah, it's uh, whoever you're with. I mean, no one's going to be perfect. So, you have to accept who they are. As long as they're not hurting anybody, probably okay. Mm-hmm. So to close, Tom, what is your last question you have 
uh, for Josh that we ask all our guests. Right. Yeah. Um, if you were going to explain your experience on this earth in three words or less, what would it be? Okay. I've been thinking about this. It's it, this. You're going to have slang in there, but then one hell of a time. <laughs> one hell of a time. Yeah. That's beautiful. And then There's my last come. A lot more to come. That is right. Mm -hmm. And my, my last question for you, Josh, is um, I'm a little magician and I'm going to transport us three into the future. And we're going to be at a 85-year-old Josh Ornstein. What does that 85-year-old Josh look like? What is the life you live at 85? And what is the legacy that you've left behind? Okay. 85-year-old Josh. Man, I have not thought about this. So let's, let's have some fun with this. Um, he's going to have a couple grandkids. He's going to be ripped. Um, <laughs> let's see. He's going to own his own sports performance F1 team. Um, let's see. Golly, what else? Uh, he's going to live on the beach. No, not the beach. He's going to live in the mountains. I'm like, he's going to live in the mountains. Uh, man, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I really have no that's idea. A, that's a great start. And that's one step we talked about today. Well, we just had yeah. three. We just had three. So I want you to picture this 85-year-old Joshua, grandchildren, um, ripped, great shape, living in um, the mountains. And we, you said actually said a fourth, and you have a sports yeah. performance F1 team. So you have four steps in that direction. And keep on um, manifesting that. But I, I want you to picture this 85-year-old Josh in your head right now with the grandchildren in the mountain, with their F1 team, ripped, jacked. Um, <laughs> picture, picture this 85-year-old Joshua in your head, and I'm going to bring us back to the now, the right here and now, the present. And that 85-year-old Joshua sends you a message. What does he tell you? Stay the course. Always keep walking forward. Always keep walking forward. Always keep walking forward and stay the course. Things will, as long, again, as long as you're working, things will work itself out. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, for your time. Derek, um, Tom, thank you very much you for having me on. They can find you on Instagram um, at jornstein underscore lifts. Um, yes. You're based out of Austin, Texas, and you, in addition to working at the On a Gym and the Durable Athlete brand, you're also take one-on-one -on -one clients, how else could they find you? What else, where should I send you? Or should I send them to your Instagram? Where can they find you, Josh? Instagram. Instagram, there, yeah, there's, you can message me there. I think I might have my phone number up on there too. You can send me a text through there if you'd like to. Um, but yeah, Instagram is my main social media platform. I don't really use, I don't use Facebook for business. I don't use Twitter for business, just Instagram. Excellent. So if they want to train with you, which I highly recommend, Send them a DM um, and get get to the work. Get get to a stepping, as we say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thank you so much. To close, all the welcome to the winner circle. We raise our fists and we bring in for a fist bump. Boom. Boom. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Yes. Have a great day, you guys. You too.